0: Listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suter. Join us each week as we break down an issue in global politics, so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now, but also what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. If you, like us, live in Australia, chances are you, or at least someone you know, has been stung by the rental market. Vacancies are at record lows, prices are soaring, and the problem's only expected to stay the same at best – as overseas migration picks back up. Now, the Greens have been among those vocal in calling for rent caps and rent freezes as a way to protect tenants from exorbitant increases. But is that a solution that's fair and will it cause more problems than it would solve? Well, Keith is here to talk us through that one. Tell me first about what's happening in Australia specifically. Can you expand on why prices are so high and vacancies are so low?
1: I think part of the problem is that the government has got out of the housing business. Well, if you take the current Prime Minister... Mr Albanese, he grew up in what the Americans would call a project home, uh, what we would call or used to call Housing Commission, and now we call it social housing. But essentially it was housing provided by the government and that people could then move in. They wouldn't own the property, but they would live there and you get some areas here in Sydney, you've had Housing Commission tenants who've been around decades Mm. in the same building. About 40 years ago, the nature of housing started to change. And so the government got out of business of supplying housing. So we've seen a reduction in, let's use the phrase, social housing. So there's actually been a reduction in the provision of social housing. And at the same time, the government has said, we're not going to provide the housing, but property investors can do so for us. And for that, we will encourage all sorts of financial incentives to be provided to encourage you to go ahead and buy a property for yourself but also to buy another property to house another family so you take on the government's responsibility Mm -hmm. of housing other people. Yeah. You collect the rent, that's the advantage. You've got very generous tax advantages. Not only here, it's interested in the United States. There are immense tax advantages given to property owners because the government realises that a property owner is taking on a very important role of housing fellow Americans. And that was something which began again 40 years ago under President Reagan. So President Reagan, who had previously been governor of California, had actually reduced the state government's role in housing. And then when he became president, he adopted that attitude for the whole of the United States, not just the state of California. So what we've seen, therefore, in this broad sweep of history in the last 40-odd years has been this movement away from the government owning housing stock and giving it over to private providers or selling it to private providers, including Mrs Thatcher in Great Britain. Mm. In Britain, we had what was called council housing. Again, it's the same project housing or social housing. So this was housing built particularly after World War II and run by local government areas, council housing. And she then enabled people who were renting their own house from the government, or local government, to be able to buy it. That'd be nice. Very nice, except, of course, it meant the government was getting out of the business of housing. Of course. So if you were lucky enough to buy a house in the 1970s, 1980s, yes, you'd be very well placed indeed. That's part of the tension that we see in Great Britain at the moment. You've got these older people in Britain who've bought their homes for giveaway prices by today's standards, Mm. who are now sitting on this small fortune, and you've got youngsters who can't get a housing unless they've got the bank of mum and dad, which in Australia is now the fifth largest source of financing. Isn't it insane? Behind the big four banks. I know. Then it's the bank of mum and dad. It's an amazing figure. And so th- the problem is, therefore, that government got out of the business of housing, moved it across to the private market. Now, the situation in the United States is interesting because there were actually rental freezes. And this is where the debate has has been revived by certain left-wing political parties who are saying, we've got to be able to freeze the rents in Australia or Great Britain or wherever. Now, the Americans used to freeze the rents, and what they found was over a period of time in a place like New York, they would end up creating a ghetto Mm. because there was no financial incentive for the landlord to make improvements or to even maintain the property property because they were getting a a rent that was still frozen at World War II levels or whatever. And it meant that the tenants had no incentive to move on to find another place because they were getting such an advantageous rent. Mm. So it meant that the rent freeze, which obviously had the best possible motives, has ended up causing chaos and has now pretty well disappeared in the United States. You get a few locations, particularly like New York, which has some rental control is still in place. But generally speaking, rent control has now gone. But now I notice it's interesting how there's nothing new in politics. All these (laughs) things go around in cycles, And now I notice we've got, you know, political parties saying what we need to have are rental freezes. Mm -hmm. Been there, done that. Yeah,
0: (laughs) right. And I wanted to ask you specifically for someone who might not understand what it means. In basic terms, what does a rental freeze actually do?
1: A rental freeze would simply say there'll be no increase in the rent mm-hmm. now, you can stabilise it by saying there'll be no increase for a year, which is certainly the proposal that we've got in Australia at the moment. So there'll be just one point where you would increase the rent, and that's it for a twelve-month period. That stabilises it. If you want to go long-term, which is what happened, particularly say in America with wartime measures, they would just simply say there'll be no increase in rent for the foreseeable future. They could they run out over years,
0: yeah,
1: in a rent-controlled property. Sounds nice.
0: I know what you mean, though. I'm a renter. I'm biased. I'm biased.
1: I'm a landlord, so I'm biased. There you go. So
0: we're bringing the balance here today. Can you tell me what we're seeing in other countries? Obviously, you know, we're in Australia. We know what we're experiencing here, but what's happening elsewhere?
1: Well, I actually think housing should be seen as a national security issue because it's clearly something which flows through to all aspects of life. If people do not have adequate housing then that flows through to all their way of life. The children, if they're going to local school, get disrupted because they've got nowhere to study. They may not even be living at home. They may be living in a a car somewhere Mm. with a a single parent. So it is something which I think flows through to the rest of society. So, you know, we don't just treat this as a a financial matter. It has broad social implications, which I think means the government has got, got to get back into earning their salary, and I think should do much more being involved in the provision of housing. Not just the small sums of money that are currently being talked about in Canberra, but really substantial sums of money. The problem they've got, of course, is ultimately it might reduce the cost of housing. John Howard always used to say that, okay, there are complaints about the cost of rent, but I've never come across a homeowner who's complained about an increase in (laughs) in home prices. (laughs) And this is what makes it so difficult because we have now changed the nature of housing instead of it just being a utility somewhere to to live, it now becomes a store of value. And so housing is now much more expensive because you're using it basically as part of your superannuation payment. Yeah. So we're encouraging people to go out and buy homes. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. I know you hear about all these people who do flipping. You know, they buy a house, do it (laughs) up, and then sell it. I'm not encouraging that. But if you do buy your house and then hold on to it for several years, it, generally speaking, will increase in value and will help you in old age. If you look at the indicators of poverty in old age, one is ill health. The second one is being single. Mm -hmm. It pays for people to be married, for good or ill, stay married. Yeah,
0: there you go. And then
1: thirdly, owning your own home. If you're an old age pensioner and you're still renting, you're in a very vulnerable situation indeed. So I support the idea of Australians becoming homeowners. I know that from a point of view of social cohesion, we should be having more people owning their own homes. And, of course, one of the issues we had in the United States under President Clinton, who encouraged people to be able to buy their own homes, and this is what triggered the global financial crisis, because all the sharks in the finance industry found that they could do the subprime loan stuff. Mm. But the original thinking behind the Clinton legislation was quite idealistic. The view was that if people own their own homes, it might lower the crime rate because it gives you a greater sense of connectedness to your local community and you get to know your neighbours, et cetera. So it may reduce some of the crime within a neighbourhood. So I think Clinton's legislation, although it led ultimately to the 2008 global financial crisis, ultimately it was a problem But at the beginning, it had a very idealistic intent that if if people can own their own homes, they are connected into the the local area, they stay in that local area. That, by the way, is why some people don't like home ownership because they prefer the flexibility to be able to move around. But you reach a certain point when you do need, to use the old expression, to settle down Mm. and you find a school for your children. You need that stability and the home gives you that. But the problem is we have financialized the housing market. So it's now a matter of investment. Look at all the programs we now have on television, looking at house prices and and you're getting all this monthly updates, et cetera. So we've actually changed the nature of housing from being a utility, which is of use to everyone, to now being a store of value as well, and it becomes part of your asset base along with your superannuation scheme.
0: Thanks for listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suter as we break down what's obviously not just an Australian problem, but a global one too, and that's the rental and housing market. Keith, we were talking about rental freezes and, and you know, critics say it's worse in the long run to kind of, you know, in, in general terms. What are some solutions that could actually work to help people who are in the rental market and trying to stay there and live in a decent home?
1: Well, I've been reading an interesting report by Rebecca Gordon, who's an American writer, and she has come up with quite an interesting list of of suggestions at the state and local level in the United States. She says raise minimum wages to reflect the prevailing cost of living, remove zoning restrictions on the construction of multifamily buildings. Now, to put that into the language that we've got, say here in Sydney, we had a local government that refused to allow people to change their housing. So you had on the North Shore of Sydney, this particular local government area, these old houses, empty except for one person, usually a widow, rattling around in an old house, but the house could not be demolished, could not be subdivided. And so what she is talking in her, in her article, using the American language, is the construction of multi-family buildings. So that, in other words, an apartment building. So you okay, keep the old house, it looks very good on those nice big grounds, et cetera, but just break it up into apartments. Yeah. That's multifamily.
0: Yeah, that doesn't really exist here, does it?
1: No. Pass rent control ordinances, so rents rise no faster than the Consumer Price Index. Mm -hmm. So yes, you can increase your rent, but keep it in line with CPI. Pass limits on upfront rental and move-in fees. This is something which I don't think we have in this country. If you are applying to rent a property, you have to make an application fee of $50. Oh. <laughs> oh, I
0: don't like the sound of that. No. Glad to be here. The theory
1: is that that enables the homeowner to do a d- diligence on you. But if you're applying for 10 properties, that's $500. Forget it. And, and at the end of the day, you may not get a, any of the, of the 10 properties. Mm. Obviously, she takes a view. You've got to pass limits on that. And also there are the move-in fees, pass legislation to prevent no-cause evictions. I'm not sure how we stand in this country, but, you know, you can just say to your tenant, you're out of here.
0: Well, it was an issue in the New South Wales state election. Oh, really? They wanted to move to default, um, uh, no-fault, like, evictions, that they were banned. You can't just evict someone Ah. because you feel like it. You've got to have a reason.
1: Yeah. Which Uh, makes sense. Yeah. Past legislation, as California has already done, to allow renters to report on their on-time rent payments to credit bureaus, allowing them to boost their credit scores without borrowing money. Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, you want to improve your own credit score, the FICO, which is it's the name of a company, and they they do comparisons yep. so you end up with a FICO score. Oh,
0: okay.
1: And obviously your concern is that you want to maintain a good record mm. to maintain your good FICO score. What they're saying is to allow renters to report their on time payments to credit bureaus. In other words, to let credit bureaus know, I am paying on time. Yeah. I am a good tenant. At the federal level, remember, this is a different system of government in the United States, mm. raised the federal minimum wage, which even in this era of inflation has been stuck at $7.25 an hour since 2009. That's shocking. So you get $300 a week for working a 40 hour week. Far out. It's interesting. One of the big chains in the United States, pays you so little that you can automatically apply for food stamps.
0: Wow. And you've got a full-time job. uh, Yeah.
1: Increase the funding for SNAP, which is the food aid, food stamp program. Increase federal funding for public housing, which is the debate that we're having
0: Mm. in this
1: country. Provide universal healthcare. This is where Australia is ahead of the United States. So my students, when they come from Boston University, are always amazed to hear about the nature of our socialised medical system, which, well, we have here, we have it in Britain, You have it in Europe. America is the odd one out yeah. there. Raise taxes on the wealthy to fund such changes. <laughs> 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 At the moment, we're considering, as you know, a, a reduction yeah. in taxes. I'm actually in favour of paying more money. That would make me very unpopular amongst (laughs) my (laughs) property-owning colleagues. Um, And she also says the final one is to, say, reduce the defence budget by a third to um, actually help sort of local national security, the financial security of the people who live in this nation. Of course, the tragedy is thanks to Putin and the invasion of Ukraine in February of last year, we're actually having an increase in defence expenditure is actually going the other way. What I found interesting in this article by uh, Dr Gordon is the way that she was able to articulate a number of things that can be done. What worries me so often in, in politics is people say, well, there's nothing that can be done. You know, we're stuck. Whereas, in fact, she's been able to show there are a lot of things that can be done to help people who are, to use the American expression, unhoused. There's a lot more that can be done.
0: What about the greater social problem around an expensive rental market? Who suffers the most from that but then in turn who gains from that?
1: The gainers are often property owners but it does mean they live in a more precarious society, ironically, because you've got the grounds of, of social unrest and social discord if you've got people who feel no real connection with local society. Mm. So they've got no problems with anti-social behaviour because They don't feel as though they owe anything to that community. They've been treated badly by that community. Therefore, why should I be loyal to it? So even the people who own the property have certain disadvantages if they're within an area where you've got this resentment against the property owners. And we are seeing a change in the way in which wealth is accumulating within the top of society and is being eroded at the bottom end of society, and that's a very unhealthy situation in which to be, because ultimately the people at the bottom will start to rebel and you'll end up with um, an unpleasant society, a violent society of young people who no longer feel as though they owe anything to the society. So if you want to have a, a peaceful society, you follow the Scandinavian example. Now, my American students are horrified because they say it's just so jolly boring. You know, <laughs> they love dodging bullets on their way to school. But it's just so boring if you go to Norway or Denmark. I know where I'd (laughs) pick. I I would as well. I'm (laughs) I'm much too old to try to live in the United States. Yeah. But, you know, that is a sort of society which thrives. They still have crime. It's not a perfect society, but it it is a safer one. And there's far less anxiety in that sort of society. So everybody feels much more at peace with themselves and with their neighbours because the wealth is more evenly distributed. What struck me on my, say, trips to Finland is the way in which you get the big company CEOs travelling on public transport. Mm. They don't need to have a private chauffeur-driven vehicle to look after. There's no shame in using public transport, which means the public transport system is good. Yeah. Because you never know who's going to be travelling on it.
0: What a miracle. (laughs) I can't relate in Sydney. So I guess then, Keith, is it a matter of With this, it obviously is a bigger problem than just the rental market or Mm. the housing market. It's us as a society. You know, can we change enough to achieve that kind of, you know, a better outcome for everyone involved?
1: Well, I think we can because we did that after World War II Mm. and the government did get involved in the rebuilding of society, particularly in Europe where so much of the housing had been destroyed and they had a a good run on for 40-odd years. And then you get this change in economic philosophy. We're relying far more on the market. And that's where the problems, I think, start to arise. We should be saying to our politicians, we want you to get back into the business of governing and we we want you to start providing more housing. We'll send you as our special envoy.
0: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Keith. (laughs) Global Truths is presented by Dr Keith Souter and me, Sasha Barbara gatt Audio production by Niall Fernandez. Theme and original music by Matt Nikolich.